Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. So glad that you're here today. Uh, Today we're kicking off a brand new series called Family Feuds. And I I first discovered the importance of what we're going to talk about in this series uh, shortly after Amy and I, you know, first got married, uh, we were looking to, you know, start a family soon, and we wanted to make sure that we passed down the good things to our kids and not the bad things. Now, now I'm not talking about genetics, okay? I'm talking about behaviors. Like, we wanted to make sure that our kids imitated the good behaviors and, you know, not the bad behaviors. And so Amy and I, we, you know, started talking, um, and, and I, we actually even talked about this again last night, but... Years ago, we first started, we started talking about the behaviors in our family and on, particularly on my side of the family. Because as we looked at it, on my side of the family, like I realized there's a lot of addictive behavior. Now, not everybody in my family was addicted to the same kind of things. There were lots of different kinds of addictions, but I was shocked at the amount of addictive behavior that's on my side of the family. Now look, I'm not going to give any specifics because I don't want to dishonor members of my family, all of whom I love and some of whom are no longer alive. But what I realized is, is that there are some behaviors that I did not want my kids to imitate, okay? Now, I also, I also don't want to paint you know, too grim of a picture, okay? It's not like everybody in my family is a drug addict and I grew up in a, you know, one-room crack house, okay? Like, that's not, that's not really what happened, okay? Um, but the truth is, is that there are multiple generations of addictive behavior in my family, which, by the way, makes total sense to me now because, like, there's this part of me that when, like, I do something, like, boom, I, like, I am all in, and, you know, it, and I look back, and even as a teenager, even like with small stuff, like video games, I was a teenager, totally addicted to video games. Not even lasted through you know, young adulthood. But what I didn't realize was that that was my addictive nature coming out. Which, by the way, is part of the reason why I don't drink alcohol at all. Because I know that because of that addictive nature in me, that if I ever started to drink... Like, I, I couldn't stop. And I would become an addict, you know, like that. And so the best way for me to break that is to never start, okay? And look, I'm still fun at parties, okay? So it, it's not like that it's like ruining my life or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but that, that addictive behavior has simply been handed down through multiple generations in my family. Um, now, not every member of my family... But in every generation that I know of in my family, there's addictive behavior. And here's what I didn't know, and why this is so important, is because those sorts of behaviors are not necessarily genetic. They're not necessarily sociological. But God tells us that they are primarily spiritual. And what we're going to find out in this series is that God warns us that the consequences for sinful behavior are passed down from generation to generation to generation. And look, if if you pause to think about it long enough, like it makes total sense. 
Think about the person who's a raging alcoholic. Their alcoholism doesn't affect just them. It affects every member of their family because their kids grow up as codependent. And then that affects how they parent their kids because they're predisposed to becoming alcoholics themselves. And even if they don't, they become either extremely permissive or they become extremely controlling, which affects their kids. And that affects the, those kids' kids. So you see how just that one, you know, the consequence of that one thing get passed down through multiple generations? I mean, think about abuse. Oftentimes, people who are abused by a, fam- by a parent or another member of the family, oftentimes they become abusers themselves, which in turn affects their kids and then their kids. And, but even if they don't become abusers themselves, they end up growing up with so many insecurities that it affects how they parent their kids, which affects you know, their kids' kids. So, I mean, so you see how all that works? Oh, please understand. I'm not trying to be insensitive, so if either one of those scenarios or other something similar describes you and what you've been through, my heart breaks for you because because I understand the amount of pain that brings, okay? So I'm not trying to be insensitive. My whole point is just merely to help us see that the consequences for those sinful choices reach across multiple generations and don't just affect one person. And what we're going to find out in this series is that these issues are a whole lot less sociological and a whole lot more spiritual than we think. And the, the, the spiritual factors at play here, if we don't deal with them on a spiritual level, they will continue to affect us and our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids and generations on down the line that we don't even know their names. But if we will deal with them as God shows us, then we can finally be free. You can be free. Your kids can be free from repeating that cycle that has been passed down to you. Your grandkids can be free. Your great-grandkids can be free. Freedom can happen in your family for generations to come that you won't even know their names this side of heaven. All because of choices you make in this series, starting today. Which is why in this series, we're going to look in the Bible at the historical account of one family line. And each week, we're going to look at different generations of that family and see how these generational sins get passed down, the consequences of those sins, and more importantly, how God can break them. Which, anyway, so all that said, the premise for this entire series comes out of an extremely important set of verses found in the Ten Commandments. Specifically, I want to look at commandment number two. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter five. And commandment number two, and all the verses are printed on the back side of your bulletin, of, of your sermon notes, okay? So commandment number two starts in verse eight. It says this, it says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below, okay? Now that's the second commandment. And that's where most people stop. But look what God continues to say. Verse 9, 
You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments, okay? This is where we get the concept of generational sin, okay? And I want you to fill that in on the chart that's on the front side, okay? And listen, you don't have to keep flipping back and forth for the verses. I've just printed all the verses on the back side for you. Uh, but you, as we go, you just fill in the chart as we go you know, through the message this morning. But this is where we get the concept of generational sin. And by generational sin, I mean sin that is passed, a sinful behavior that's passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. This is why in some families, there are multiple divorces in multiple generations, while in other families, there's no divorce. This is why in some families, there are multiple generations of alcoholics, while in other families, there are none. This is why that in some families, there are generations of sexual addiction, pornography addiction, or sexual promiscuity, while in other families, there's not. Some families have multiple generations of anger issues, or greed issues, or control issues, while other families, they're not present. I mean, do you ever wonder why? It's because of generational sin, okay? Now, again, to help illustrate this, we're going to look at one family throughout this entire series. The family that we're going to look at is the family of Abram. God later changes his name to Abraham, and Abram is the father of Judaism, from which also come Christianity and Islam. I know, shocking, right? But you'll see how that happens before we get to the end of today. So we're going to study this family. So here's the situation of the family. Um, in this family, the first family feud we're going to look at is the feud between Sarai. Sarai is Abram's wife. It's the feud between Sarai and Hagar. Hagar is Sarai's maidservant. Okay? So, here's the situation. The situation is, is that Abram and Sarai don't have any children. But God comes to them and promises them that they are finally going to have a child. And Abram is 75 years old and Sarai is 66 I know, if you're 66 years old, pregnancy does not sound like good news, okay? <laughs> but, but for Sarai, I mean, she was beaming with joy because finally she's going to be able to have a child of her own, okay? But get this, 10 years go by, 10 years. Sarai is now in her mid-70s, and she's still not pregnant. And as you can imagine, she begins to have real doubt if she's ever going to get pregnant. And that gives birth to the first generational sin in her family. And that generational sin is that she didn't trust God. She ends up taking matters into her own hands. I want you to look at what happens here in Genesis chapter 16, beginning of verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant, 
Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Okay? Now, I know that sounds totally crazy, right? And, and to us it does, but to them it, it wasn't so crazy because even though we don't agree with slavery, the truth is that's what Hagar was. Hagar was Sarai's slave. And so as a result, anything that Hagar produced was actually the property of Sarai. So that would hold true if Hagar, you know, harvested grain or if, you know, she produced clothing or even a child through Sarai's husband, Abram. So that child would actually be the property of Sarai. Now look, you have to understand, Abram sleeping with Hagar, sleeping with someone who's not his wife, was still sin, okay? But the sin I want to focus on is that Sarai didn't trust God. She didn't trust God that God would produce an offspring through her own body. Basically, what she did was she took God's will into her own hands and tried to force it to happen on her timetable and on her terms. And this generational sin starts here, but I'm telling you, it's going to rear its ugly head on down the line. But generational sin doesn't stop there for this family. Something else happens. And it starts the generational sin of jealousy and resentment. It's the generational sin of jealousy and resentment. Look what happens beginning in verse 4. It says this. When she, Hagar, knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Okay, see, now that Hagar becomes pregnant, Hagar resents Sarai, probably because she knows that her child is going to become Sarai's property. And Sarai is jealous of Hagar, probably because Hagar is, is now pregnant and Sarai knows she has, has not born any children and so she becomes jealous because she's feeling second rate. I mean, is this conflict a shocker to anybody? Like, hello? I mean, this is like ready-made Jerry Springer type stuff, right? I mean, that, that's essentially what this is, right? But I'm telling you, it's crazy. But this jealousy and resentment becomes so deep-seated that it gets passed down to multiple generations, which we will see in coming weeks, okay? But it doesn't stop there. Then we move on to the generational sin of favoritism. It's the generational sin of favoritism. Here's what happens in Genesis chapter 21, verse 5. Because at this stage of the game, get this, 14 years later, 14 years later, Sarah, because by now God's changed Sarai's name to Sarah, Sarah actually becomes pregnant and has a child at the age of 91. And her husband is 100. So, and his name by now has been changed to Abraham. 
And so now the family feud really gets out of hand. Here's what happens, beginning um, in verse 5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share an inheritance with my son, Isaac. Okay, now here's the deal. Hagar's son was named Ishmael. But get this, in reality, Ishmael was just as much Sarah's son as Isaac was Sarah's son. But you know what? Didn't matter. Sarah favored her natural born son, Isaac, over Hagar's son, Ishmael. By the way, is that a big shocker to anybody either? Like, I mean, I'm telling you, you can't make this stuff up, all right? I mean, this is what, this, this is what really went down. But it doesn't stop there. Now, Sarah moves to commit the generational sin of estrangement. It's the sin of estrangement. Get this. Here's what happens. Verse 14. Check it out. The Bible says this. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. That's Ishmael. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, Abraham did not even give him a donkey to ride on. He just said, hey, here's some water, head to the desert, best of luck to you. And so now, Hagar and her son Ishmael are estranged from the only family they've ever known. And, you know, just, because, just in case you're sitting there thinking, well, I mean, these two, they don't really sound all that bad. Let me tell you what these, specifically these two generational sins lead to. In case you haven't taken world history in a while, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, he eventually becomes the father of an entire race of people that we now know as Arabs. And in 610 AD, a particular Arab named Muhammad, who traces his lineage all the way back to Ishmael, starts a new religion called Islam. Which means that all of the conflict and all of the violence between Muslims and Jews, between Muslims and Christians, are a result of this family feud. Imagine what our world would be like today if we could go back and we could unwind all this and deal with this family feud back here. Do you see how far-reaching sometimes these generational sins become? telling you it's huge it's unbelievable this is why it's so incredibly important that you allow god to deal with the generational sin in your family and that you allow god to break that cycle of generational sin in your family and and next week i'm going to show you specifically how god breaks that cycle so that you don't have to live under that generational sin any longer and your kids won't and your kids' kids won't. And your great-grandkids won't. Because I mean, th- this is why sometimes 
you end up doing things that you don't even want to do, and you don't understand why you do them, and your kids do them, and you don't understand why they do them either, and they're so impossibly hard to break all on your own. It's because some of these things that get handed down to us generationally, and they have to be spiritually taken care of. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that we, before we you know, move on, I want to make sure that we talk about the second half of our foundational verse for this entire series. So flip your sermon notes on the back. I want you to look at the last scripture that's on the bottom, which is really just the second part of commandment number two, where we began the day. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 9, here's the second half. It says this. It says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but, and I want you to underline all of verse 10. This is incredible. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. See, God says that if we will serve him with all our hearts, that he will begin the process of showing love to our family, even to a thousand generations beyond. That's incredible. That's incredible what our Heavenly Father would do for us. And so how does God do that in this family view? Because look, these people are not perfect. This family is not perfect, which, by the way, is really good news for you and me because it means that your family doesn't have to be perfect either. All it means is that you have to be willing to serve God with all your heart as best you can. And honestly, that's what Sarah and Abraham, Sarai and Abram, did as best they could. Again, they weren't perfect, but they tried to serve God as best they could. And so God began the process of showing his love to their family. And the first way God did that was by helping them understand that they were not disqualified. What I mean by that is they weren't disqualified from being used by God to accomplish something great in this life. Because through Abram and Sarai, who later became Abraham and Sarah, God built a great nation the Jewish nation, modern-day Israel. And even though they're not the largest nation in the world, they are still a great nation and a player in world you know, politics and in our plant on our, you know, on our globe today. It's incredible what God has done. And so look, here's the deal. Just because you've made some bad choices in the past, or just because perhaps other members of your family have made some bad choices in the past, doesn't mean that you're disqualified from being used by God to accomplish something great in this life. Because I'm, I'm telling you, you might wish more than anything that you could unwind the clock, that you could go back and you could undo and redo some things that have happened in the past. You, you might wish more than anything that you, you could do that. Look, and there are so many people that mistakenly think that God is forever mad at them for something that's happened in the past. You know, maybe that's you. Maybe you think that God is so angry with you for something that you've done in the past. Or maybe you think that God is so disgusted or so disappointed in you because of something that you've done or maybe something that's been done to you or something that's happened in your family. Well, friends, let me tell you, more than anything, God says, 
if you will just follow me as best you can, I will show my love to you and help you understand you are not disqualified because of something that you've done or something that some member of your family's done. Sarai's family is living proof of that. Your family can be living proof of that too. Because I'm telling you, part of what makes God God is that he can craft an amazing future with people who have a checkered past. I'm telling you, if you think for a moment that God is up in heaven and he's looking down on you and your family and he's thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, I would love to do something wonderful and great in this family. I would love to do something great in this person's life. But I mean, they've made so many bad choices and there's a whole history of it. I mean, I wish I could do something, but I just can't because my hands are tied. If you think for a minute that your choices are powerful enough to tie God's hands, you greatly underestimate God. Because what you're saying, if that's how you think, you're essentially saying that you are more powerful than God. <laughs> no, 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 no. God's saying, my hands aren't tied by your choices. I'm God. And what makes him God is that he can do something great even through families who have a checkered past. Doesn't matter. Because God says that he will show his love by telling you you are not disqualified. And so don't ever believe that. Don't ever believe that. In order to experience God's love in your family, you have to make sure that you're a part of God's family. And now you, you do that by making sure that you yourself have become a Christian, become a Christ follower. You do that when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you for everything you've ever done. So if you've never done that before, there's a prayer, it's in your message notes. I'm going to give you a chance to pray it when we get to the end of today, okay? But... The second way that God shows his love to this family and to us is this. It's through God's, that God's promises are fulfilled. God's promises are fulfilled. See, God fulfilled his promise to Abram and Sarah because Sarah became pregnant and had a baby when she was 91. And God kept his promise by making her offspring into a great nation, modern-day Israel. And in the very same way, God says that for you, he will keep his promises to you. And what are the God's promises to you? The promises that God makes to us in the Bible. And what are some of the things that God promises in the Bible? He promises that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He promises that if you will trust in Christ, you will go to heaven when you die. God promises that if you will lay your worries and your burdens at the feet of Christ, that he will make those burdens easy and your load light. God promises that he will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Okay, Not all your wants, but all your needs. God promises that he will take the bad things that happen in your life 
and through his incredible power, he can turn them into something good. Those are just a few of God's promises that will come to pass in your life if you will follow him. Now, make sure that you're here next Sunday because next Sunday we're going to see how generational sins from Sarai affect her grandchildren, Jacob and Esau. And more than that, I'm going to show you how God can break the cycle of generational sin in a family, in your family. So make sure that you're here. Now, if you're ready to pray that prayer to become a Christ follower, I want you to pray that prayer right now while I pray for everybody else. Bow your head, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you that you want us to be free. Free, free from sin that so easily entangles. And I pray for every family that has generational sin. God, I ask that you would bring freedom starting today, just like you've brought freedom to me and my family. I pray that that same freedom would be granted to so many families here by choices that they will make today and through this series. And so that their kids can be free. Their grandkids can be free. Their great-grandkids can be free. There'll be generations that will know freedom and know your love that we don't even know their names yet. And so thank you, Father, for how you show your love literally to a thousand generations of those who follow you with all their heart. And help us to do that. And bring us back next week so we can continue to learn more. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.